My name is Mark McGuinness, and this is the 21st Century Creative, the podcast that helps you thrive as a creative professional amid the demands, the distractions, and the opportunities of the 21st century. Welcome to episode four. Today, we are circumnavigating the globe in the company of Laurie Miot, designer and founder of Outshinery.com. While on a round-the-world trip, Laurie managed to not only continue running her existing design business, but she conceived and created an entirely new business, Outshinery, with a very innovative business model. So if you're remotely curious about the idea of being a digital nomad, traveling the world with your laptop, or if you'd like some inspiration for applying your artistic creativity to the business side of your work, Laurie has a lot of interesting things to say about both of these. So stay tuned. As I'm recording this, it's a beautiful day. The sun is shining, the birds are singing, and the trees are full of whatever trees are full of at this time of year. And here I am this morning making the podcast for you. And this afternoon, I get to work with two of my inspiring coaching clients. And I'm feeling very grateful today. I get to get up in the morning, work on things I find meaningful that give me pleasure and will hopefully give you pleasure and hopefully some help and assistance. And this afternoon, I get to collaborate with two really inspiring creators and get inside their world and their adventures and their dreams and aspirations. It feels like a great way to be spending my day. So wherever you are in the world, whatever the weather, I wish you that same joy of creating something worthwhile and sharing it with people you care about. Our theme for today is Stay Small, Go Global. Once upon a time, a small business was a local business. It was a small workshop where the owner and maybe an apprentice or two hammered away, weaving cloth, making tables, mending horseshoes, fixing bicycles or servicing cars. It was the shop on the corner where we bought our newspapers and sweets, the baker where we chatted with the lady behind the counter the restaurant where the owner greeted us by name. Big businesses were global businesses, with fleets of cars, ships and planes to take their staff and their products all over the world. The reception at head office proudly displayed clocks showing the times in London, New York, Hong Kong and Tokyo, where their branch offices were located. For a while, ambitious small businesses went through a phase of pretending to be bigger than they were, with corporate-sounding brand names and websites that said we, even when there was only one person behind them. One big exception to this pattern was the artist or creator who became an international star. Like Archibald Leach, who was born just down the road from where I live in Bristol, England, and went on to achieve worldwide fame in Hollywood, as Cary Grant. Another Brit who did pretty well for himself in the States 
was the poet W.H. Auden, who once said, a poet hopes to be like a valley cheese, local but prized elsewhere. In 2005, Seth Godin wrote a seminal blog post called Small is the New Big, arguing that the world was changing and people were coming to value the things small businesses were good at. Things like personal service, flexibility, authenticity and responsiveness. So small is the new big, but in Seth's words, only when the person running the small thinks big. About the same time I discovered Godin's work, I came across Russell Davis' blog, where he talked about launching a global small business with four partners located in London, Amsterdam, Sydney and New York. He said they had a weekly meeting inside World of Warcraft, where we attack a castle or something, then chat about work, which I thought was hilarious and inspiring in equal measure. That was back in 2006, just after I'd started my first blog, which I'd done in the hope of selling more coaching and training to creative agencies in London. Once I started blogging, however, and became obsessed, like all new bloggers, with my visitor stats, I realised people were reading my blog from all over the world. It got even curiouser when I started talking to these readers via blog comments and emails, and later on things like Facebook and Twitter came along. One thing led to another, and I found myself delivering coaching sessions via Skype and receiving payments through PayPal, all without leaving the comfort of my home office. It certainly made a change from hiring an expensive office in central London and commuting in and out every time I wanted to see a client. Later on, I teamed up with two creative entrepreneurs in the US, Brian Clark in Texas and Tony Clark in North Carolina, to launch LateralAction.com. We spent two years as business partners without ever meeting face-to-face growing a popular blog and selling e-learning courses to customers all over the world. And it didn't stop at digital products or virtual consulting. As my global audience and network grew, I was invited to speak at conferences in the United States. I've also traveled to work with clients in Europe, in the Middle East and the Caribbean. In 2012, I joined the self-publishing revolution. And since then, I've published three books and sold copies pretty well all over the world. I have a publisher in Moscow who published the Russian edition of my first book. Here in Bristol, this week alone, I've worked with clients on three continents. Yesterday, I worked with one client in Los Angeles and another in Tokyo. The day before, it was Mexico and Paris. This afternoon, it's New York and Canada. I've been doing this for years now, and it feels normal. I've even got an intuitive sense of what time it is in different parts of the world at different times of my day. I'm still a small business. It's just me, plus a few collaborators for specific projects. But I'm a global small business. In the past 12 months, here in the UK, in the US and other countries, the question of local versus global has become more urgent and more divisive. The arguments over Brexit, over Trump and the rise of nationalist parties elsewhere in the world show that, for a lot of people, globalism is a very threatening idea. It's hard to even talk about this without upsetting people on one side or the other. 
But I thought Chris Anderson did a pretty good job of looking for a neutral way of framing the debate when he suggested the terms protect versus connect. He wrote a short piece where he said, In rushing towards an ever more connected world, we failed to protect. We let millions of people come to fear the loss of their jobs, their dreams, and the cultural norms with which they were familiar. Now, this podcast isn't the place to talk about the wider political issues here. But it is the place for you and I to consider the implications of protect versus connect for us as creatives. So here's my take. If you are a creative professional in the 21st century, connection is your protection. You cannot afford to isolate yourself, creatively, socially or economically. Whether that means spending all your time in your own studio or office, or limiting your focus to your own creative field or industry, or to your local town or your country. It's a cliché, but it's also true. Creativity thrives on new connections. When you put what you already know together with something new, something unexpected, something from elsewhere, whether that's a different artist or art form, or another field such as science or education or engineering, or another country and its culture. The most creative people have always been the most curious, the most outward-looking, and the most adventurous. Imagine if Cary Grant had never left Bristol instead of going to Hollywood. Would he have achieved worldwide fame as a film star? It's unlikely, isn't it? Imagine if Shakespeare had decided to stay at home in Stratford-on-Avon instead of moving to cosmopolitan London. Would his career as a playwright have got off the ground? Would we have heard of him today? I doubt it. Or if Bob Dylan had stayed in Minnesota and never gone to New York, would he be a household name? Would he have won a Nobel Prize? Again, I doubt it. So when it comes to finding opportunities for your career or customers for your creative business, the wider your professional network and the more meaningful connections you have, the more reliable your support system will be and the more resilient you will be. Here's a simple way to extend your creative connections. Firstly, draw three circles on a piece of paper. Circle one represents your creative work. Inside this circle, write the names of all the artistic or creative disciplines you practice. Circle two represents your geographical reach, the circle of people you know and who know about you. In one half of this circle, write the names of the cities, countries or continents where you know people. In the other half, write the names of places where people have heard of you and your work. Circle three represents your social reach, the kind of people you interact with on a regular basis. So if you spend most of your time with artists, write artists. If you also hang out with carpenters or scientists or footballers, or martial artists, or whoever, put them down too. Now look at those three circles and ask yourself, which one are you most curious to step outside of? If it's circle one, that means it's time to explore a new creative field. If it's circle two, that means you want to visit a new city, or a new country, or connect with a new culture. If it's circle three, 
That means you want to break out of your current social circles and meet a new type of person. So, once you know where your curiosity is leading you, off you go. Start exploring. One of the themes I keep returning to in this podcast is the idea that the times we're living in are a two-edged sword. On the one hand, we're living in an age of unprecedented creative stimulation via the internet, social media, accelerating technology, and an always-on working culture. And on the other hand, we're living in an age of unprecedented distraction from focused creative work from all the same sources. And the biggest concern for many creatives is a nagging sense that their most important work is being left undone. If you're excited by the opportunities of the creative age, but worried about the effect of all those digital distractions on your creativity, then I've written a book for you. Productivity for Creative People. It's a short, practical guide to getting creative work done in the 21st century, based on my own experience as a writer, creative entrepreneur, and father. All the ideas in the book have been road-tested in my coaching practice with creative professionals like you. So, if you want to create extraordinary work without necessarily disappearing to a cabin in the woods or even giving up your smartphone, check out Productivity for Creative People at... 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash productivity. That's 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash productivity. Today's guest is Laurie Miot, an award-winning designer and creative director, originally from France, currently living in Vancouver, Canada. As well as designing for clients including Hagen Das and Danielle Laporte, Laurie is the founder of Outshinery.com, an innovative company providing product photography for the wine and beer industries. Outshinery uses 3D digital technology to create product images without the hassle and delays of shipping bottles of alcoholic liquid to photographers' studios. I had the privilege of coaching Laurie a couple of years ago, and I was hugely impressed by her attitude to every aspect of her work. I've invited her on the show this week for two big reasons. Firstly, she managed to grow her design business and launch out Shinery while she was on an extended round-the-world trip, living the dream of working from her laptop in exotic locations such as Vietnam, Thailand, Japan, Hawaii, and Mexico. We scheduled our coaching calls in several different time zones, but Laurie never missed an appointment and always showed up having done the work she committed to. And I knew she was doing the same for her clients, keeping them happy wherever she happened to be in the world. So if you're interested in combining your creative work with adventurous travel, you'll want to pay close attention to Laurie's advice on how to run a creative micro-business from the road. The other big reason I'm sharing Laurie's story with you is the way she takes a creative approach to her business as well as her design work. As you'll hear when she talks about the creation of Outshinery, she treats the business itself as a canvas for creativity, 
and loves to use her design thinking, not just for creating amazing images, but also for rethinking solutions to the problems faced by her clients. Outshinery is an innovator in the wine and beer sector, partly for its use of cutting-edge technology, but also because it creates a whole new business model that provides outstanding value to its clients, inspiring work for the Outshinery team, and a thriving business for Laurie herself. So if you're a creative service provider of any kind, and you'd like to increase your income and the value you create for your clients, I recommend you listen for the way Laurie thinks, not just as a designer, but also as a creative entrepreneur. Why design? What attracted you to this form of creativity in the first place? I chose design because of the challenge. Um, when I was at younger at school, uh, it was pretty easy. I have a very good visual memory, which made everything a bit boring. Uh, I could just read my history lesson once or twice and just show up at the exam and just do fine, uh, which is, you know, a great advantage, but it just made... Um, yeah, for life a bit boring at school, like lacking challenge. So when I decided that um, I wanted a bit more and I always enjoyed like, you know, doodling and going to like sculpture class and things like that, that maybe there was something for me in um, the design world. So I opted for that actually at a very young age. I was like 14 and I went to a special school that would do um, both like the regular curriculum and also extra hours all about uh, design. And that was the first time that I was really challenged. I had to come up with idea, work them, refine them. I couldn't just show up and pull it off. So what was it that was challenging about design that you weren't getting from, say, a topic like history or, or one of the other academic subjects? Um, it felt like I had to imagine like what was possible. I know technically when you are in history and everything, they ask you to you know think about it, but it was much more like giving back information that was given to you in a lesson. Uh, with design, the challenge was just like, here is a problem. How do you, Laurie, would solve it? And I, I thought that was super interesting and um, innovative and makes me want to explore that more. So are you still answering that question today? Yeah, thrive for it. Like that's, what, uh, <laughs> that's what makes my job interesting. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing it. I, I get bored very easily. <laughs> right. So you want people coming to you with hard problems. Yes. And problems that matters. <laughs> okay. Well, talking about challenging problems or personal challenges, you know, there's one thing I noticed on your website was you say you grew up in France and you moved to Canada after graduation because you wanted to be bilingual. Why was that an ambition for you? Uh, there is a reasonable reason and an unreasonable one. Ooh. Let's start with the unreasonable one. Um, like I was saying earlier, I was a pretty, like I was a top of my class student in everything. I was even decent in um, sports, but I was terrible, terrible in English. Like I was bottom of the class. Um, I had... I can blame it on the teacher, I can blame it on the hormones, whatever that is. Like I was really I was really lacking any knowledge or confidence in English. 
so when I was 14, I just once at the end of the class went to my English teacher and said, one day I'll be bilingual and it won't be thanked to you. And I remember leaving the room and slamming the door. <laughs> so I always had this in the back of my mind that wow. one day I would be bilingual. It was just more out of spite. But as I grew older and, you know, the internet developed to uh, recognize speed, coming from France, it's pretty easy to understand that if you only speak French, you are missing out on a ton of things. Uh, just a quick look at like Wikipedia and you can see the number of articles in English versus number of articles in French and you were like, okay, I'm missing out. And more than that, like, I had the chance to travel quite a bit within Europe and there's no other way. Like if you want to communicate with anybody, I'm not going to learn Swedish, uh, for example. So English is the way to go. So it was just more like as a, as a way to communicate and just not have language or communication overall, like, restrict me in any way, uh, maybe internet-wise, content-wise, or travel, or what's come to be a work relationship. And do you think it's changed the way you think, the fact that you've got more than one language to think in? Oh, absolutely. Uh, quite funny, now that I speak English, I would say pretty well. Uh, first, I struggled in French, but more than that, I just... Um, it was such an obstacle to overcome that not everything is possible. Like I accepted a contract in Berlin, Germany, signed it, and only afterwards realized, oh, by the way, I don't speak German, like not a word. But because I spoke English, I was like, yeah, that's that's going to be fine. And thankfully, I checked with the agency, they're like, yeah, it's fine. But it's just like any kind of possible barriers that I would have had, um, I think just like they no longer even like pop up in my mind. I can go to Japan or I can go to South America. I'll be fine. I speak English. And, you know, you've, you've certainly taken advantage of that because I remember when I first met you, you were living the dream of the digital nomad. You were traveling the world, running your design business from your laptop. Mm-hmm. Um, you, we had calls from, you were in Vietnam, yeah. Japan, Hawaii, Mexico, there may have been one or two other places. So, I mean, a lot of people dream of doing this, but you actually did it. So I'm, I'm curious, how did the reality compare with the dream? Uh, pretty close and different. Um, it, is, it is extremely gratifying and liberating to just take your laptop and find Wi-Fi and just go. Uh, It is also extremely challenging, um, more in the sense of, like, uh, I would say grit and organization. Uh, It's one thing to be in Hawaii. It's amazing. And then you have to work and be in front of a laptop and can't be outside while everybody else is surfing. It's hard. (laughs) Not complaining here, but it's just like, okay. Um, There's also, of course, sometimes the issues of uh, time difference with clients which is often easily overcome. Uh, that just means you may have like the random Skype call at you know 11 p.m. at night or very, very early in the morning or where worth it. Um, and there's also all the little things that just happen that make it everything a bit more complicated than you know that we do as stayed at home in our first world country um, 
none of it would have happened to that degree. Just case in point, uh, when I was living in Vietnam for three weeks, the internet was, um, I wouldn't say totally broken, but extremely, extremely slow. Like the main cable connecting Vietnam to the the mainland for like all the for the internet was uh, cut off. So I couldn't do Skype, let alone video. I couldn't even do Skype audio. The regular Gmail wouldn't load. I had to go through like the slow HTML version. And it wasn't a question of like, oh, let's move coffee shop or let's move cities. Like the whole country was shut down from the rest of the world. And that made my, my work extremely complicated. I felt uh, quite unprofessional because I did commit to my clients saying like, I'm going to be traveling, but it's not going to change anything for you. Yeah. Um, so, but funny enough, actually, people were very understanding. I still delivered. I worked probably twice the amount of time that it would have taken me in regular conditions because of, you know, it takes 30 minutes to upload a picture. Um, but it also shows you that you're more resilient than you think you are. And you kind of find a like, roundabout way to get things done in that just take into consideration the limitation of the moment. So I, I learned a lot from it, but it, it was not enjoyable at the time. <laughs> right. And how did your clients respond when you told them you were taking off around the world? Most of them were excited. Um, I did announce it a couple of months in advance, two or three months in advance. Um, something to keep in mind, I already worked a lot with clients that uh, were not in the same city, like they were in Canada, but... It's right. not like if we were meeting every week or so. Some of my clients were already 500 kilometers away from me anyway. So they were like, well, we only meet each other twice in eight years uh, that we've been working together. I don't exactly see how it would change anything if you are like, right. you know, yeah. at 9,000 kilometers to that distance. Um, and then a funny story, like... Um, I was, uh, during my travel, I had a, a project that was to build um, a planner. So like, think of it like a book, like a paper product. Yeah. And um, so I had like a lot of like pieces to put together to choose the paper, to choose the spiral, like the coil, the cover, like the color proof, like all that process. So that took a couple of months to get through. And the printers had to ask me because they were going a little bit crazy in a kind of nice way, but they were like, okay, what's going on? We never send, we never, when we go to FedEx, we never put twice the same address to reach you. Like once you're in like, Phuket, Thailand, or you're in Tokyo, or you're in Kyoto, or you're at, you know what? Like, it's just like, it's like, it doesn't matter to us. Like FedEx is FedEx. Like, but we have to ask you like, what's going on? And so then I explained, like, oh, I'm doing this around the world. And they were like, oh, this is, like, and then they were on board, like, this is really cool. Well, like, can we maybe, like, share, like, a, a Google calendar with all your upcoming addresses so that we know where to send the packages when we have them ready for you? So it was just, again, like, just, like, a bit, like, logistics. And even the printers are notoriously, like, more down to earth and, like, um, you know, the routine they were totally on board and um, and even like with start like so where are you now <laughs> that's great i mean and i think it's a good point that increasingly people are just getting used to the fact that you don't necessarily work at the next desk to members of your team or even you know down the road to your direct suppliers they could be on another continent 
And if you're acclimatized to that already, and they are, then maybe it doesn't make an awful lot of difference if you're in one continent today and another one tomorrow. I really, I really think it doesn't. I think it comes down to it, just be reliable no matter where you are and communicate. Yeah. As long as you, as you say, and where you are, what you would do, um, mention like, hey, I'm in Hawaii right now. I have a 12-hour time difference with you, so I'm going to be working on this, but you're not going to hear from me during your day because I'm sleeping. However, when you wake up in the morning, everything will be done. With this piece of information, you give the peace of mind to uh, your client or your supplier, and the world keeps spinning. Like It's just like I think you really... I mean, communication is crucial no matter what, but when you are traveling and not always easily reachable, delivering and communicating the reasons uh, why is great. And to be honest, for the one year I was traveling, I never had a phone number uh, because I was moving too much and I couldn't be bothered to change SIM cards constantly. Yeah. Um, and I was wondering, like, is somebody going to ask me for my phone like, to be reachable? And I was also thinking, like, I don't want to be woken up in the middle of my night or because there's still like the time difference. Like people have sometimes difficulties yeah. remembering yeah. that there is one. <laughs> right. And um, but nobody asked for it. I never put it in my website. I still don't have it to this day. I don't have it in my email address. And people, as because I was responsible on my email front. People never felt like they had to call me and ask me for more information. And this is something, I think, which is huge. I mean, it, it applies whether or not you're traveling the world. But being someone of your word, you know, if you say to a client, I will do this, and you really instill in them the fact that you will do it, you know, because you've, you've got a track record. And the word you, the phrase you use, you know, giving them peace of mind. I think that's something that if you can do that for a client or a business partner or a supply you know whoever it is you're working with you can pretty well do what you want absolutely and uh and you can really get them excited about uh in a way like it's, it's kind of funny but they kind of almost like live by like procuration makes it just like oh you know like i wouldn't be too afraid to even share my instagram with them would they ask uh you know i wouldn't have any bad pictures on there but just like oh my god so i saw you saw the turtles like how was it and just like and also thank you for sending this pdf to the printer amazing so really like getting them <laughs> so that's quite an unusual <laughs> conversation five or ten years Absolutely. ago isn't it <laughs> oh totally but it just i think it makes it more interesting and just um less like oh how is the weather today like just like it kind of it kind of shakes things up a little bit on both sides of the conversation. Well, they're not and, likely to, to mix you up with their, one of their other suppliers, are they? It's like, oh, Laurie, was she the one swimming with turtles or not? And yeah, I think so, yeah. Right, or just like having an important call and be like, I can do it, but two notes, it's going to be 1 a.m. my time, and I'm going to be at the Bangkok airport. So apologize if there's a bit of noise in the background. But yeah. I know I've been to this airport. I know there is good Wi-Fi. Are you okay with that? I said it obvious, like, yeah, it's totally fine. Three days later, we had the call, and there was no problem. I wasn't awkward um, because, yeah, it wasn't the perfect condition being in a room in my studio, quiet. It was just, you know, the Bangkok airport. Um, but people were just, like, totally appreciative, and the conversation went well. We 
discussed what we needed to discuss, agreed on the point that needed to be worked on, and and that was it. Like it wasn't um, the expectations were totally met, and um, it was a great experience. So, what was the best thing about the whole trip for you? The best thing. Um, I think it's the people I met along my travel and how um, no matter where you are, um, we share so much. Uh, I'm talking especially with, like, in, on the human level, but even like, even more precisely among like creatives. Uh, it kind of totally blew me away that you can be in Vietnam or in Japan or in Mexico or like, all of these places, like very different cultures, very different um, approaches to design, and yet we all use the exact same tools, uh, mostly Apple computers and Adobe softwares. And we still come up with very different results, but it just, I knew this, of course, but like seeing it and realizing that, okay, I'm going to work on the back of a scooter behind a 75-year-old man driving me uh, in Vietnam, the street of like very, very busy street of Saigon. And then I go to work, open my Mac, and I'm surrounded with other people that are working um, on their computer just the same. And then I can be going to Japan just like the months after and take a super high-tech subway or bullet train, arrive in my you know, studio for the day and open my computer. And I have right next to me a Japanese man working on his computer, same software, everything right next to me as well. Though I mean, Mexico City, I spent an hour in transit uh, in a taxi, uh, chit-chatting with um, the taxi driver, because traffic is insane in Monterrey. And yet I arrive at the studio, and here I am among 15 other people with their Mac and um, all open, <laughs> working away. It's like it's- you never left home. I never left home. Like you said, we have so much more in common that um, the media, um, our society sometimes would like us to believe. So now you're back home in, which is Canada for now. Yeah. And but has the experience of having that trip around the world, has that changed anything about the way you work today? Uh, I would think so. First, okay, so what would I say the most important? It's just, the most important is really showing, uh, proving myself that I can work with people around the world on a daily basis. So right now I have a little team uh, that's across uh, thousands of kilometers apart. And and I think beforehand I was working with illustrators and photographers that were far away, but it was always like temporary projects. Like, oh, like let's do this new uh, wine label and it's going to take two months to do. And we're going to work and communicate like, you know, once a week to make sure everything moved forward. Uh, While I was traveling, I had to communicate to clients and uh, designers like on a daily basis and management projects with people from everywhere. And it made me understand that it's totally possible. Not only is it possible for my clients to work with me around the world, but I can too work with people around the world on a daily basis uh, and get the most out of it. And um, another learning is that I love traveling and it's totally doable and that um, with it comes a great responsibility. So I can be anywhere and I live right now in Vancouver, British Columbia, 
which is amazing, but it's also, I could also be in Argentina or I could be in Australia or I could be, and it's just this idea of always uh, building like what's next and what's possible and injecting that in my designs and my creativity. So I hope anybody listening to this is getting the picture of this very kind of restless creative mind that you have, that you're not content to, to just do one thing and and stick with that and this is even true of your design business isn't it because you know you've had a successful freelance design business for quite a while but in i think it was 2016 you had you set up a new venture entirely out shinery so maybe you could just start by explaining exactly what out shinery is and and what it does uh so i started out shinery I had the idea about Chenery at a coffee shop in Monterey, Mexico, in August 2015, if I recall well. It was the end, I, I picture it, like it was the end of the day. It was really sunny, but not too hot, because it can be really hot in Mexico, as you can imagine. And I just received this email from a, a winery client of mine that just says, like, in a nutshell, like, Laurie, I'm at wit's end. Um, I don't have any pictures of my bottles, of my wine bottles. And I need it to sell online. I need it to give it to my wine distributors. Uh, I need it. And by every day that I don't have images up, I'm losing money, quite literally. Now, the reality is, for a while, it's always been like frustrating. So I used to take pictures in the back of my design studio. So I would have a bit of a white box. I would come around a tripod set up and I would shoot the bottles as they come. Nothing super sexy or glamorous, but it just needed to be done and I couldn't find um, the right photographer to do it. The funny thing is like wine or beer bottle, for that matter, are actually quite tricky to shoot. If you think about it, they're extremely like reflective. Um, they shine through. Like it's just, it's a technical product shot. You can't just point and shoot any camera and expect something beautiful as a result. It would actually look really, really bad. Uh, but here I was uh, in Mexico at the time, and I didn't want to say to her that I can't do it. Uh, it goes back again to I am traveling, but I made the commitment to my clients that I would keep on delivering. Right, that we were discussing right. earlier. Yeah. Uh, but it was out of the question that she would, you know, ship with UPS, like a box of wine. I didn't have my camera even with me at the time. Um, it's just like, yeah, like, this, like the traditional way is not going to work. <laughs> Shipping wine to Mexico is going to be a bit of a challenge. Oh, yeah, a big challenge. Uh, and expensive too. And I was like, yeah, okay, so we, we, can't, we can't do it that way. And so this is where I started to connect the dots, really. So I've been already by then traveling for about six or seven months. And I met in Vietnam someone that does amazing digital 3D work, like 3D rendering. Um, and I was like, well, you can make photorealistic um, products. So it really looks like it's a, it's a real image, but it was entirely done in a 3D software, why don't we do it for bottles? So I called my client and I explained a bit the concept. She was like, I don't exactly get it, but at the same time, I trust you and I have this problem, <laughs> so let's just do it. And I was like, okay, let's 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 do it. And I started working with uh, Fong from Vietnam. I was at the time in Mexico. My client was in Washington State in the US. And it just started like doing away. So we 
we did a first range of products, all like 15 bottles, and it just, it worked. Like she was totally impressed, totally amazed. She first started with five, and when she saw the results, she was like, here are like 15 more, can we do them all? <clears throat> and, um, and then I was like, if it works for Judy, it's going to work for the rest of the industry. So this is how um, Outchannery was born. So it's a one-stop website for wineries and breweries around the world to get their visual assets, bottled images, bottled videos. Uh, you no longer need to ship anything. It's just answer a few questions online about your, uh, the shape of your bottle, the color of your wine, what kind of label do you have, upload your label artwork, and then we'll take care of the rest. So, and it's been really fun because now we have clients. Uh, so we've been in properly business since uh, January 2016. Everything is done online. And uh, we have clients from South Africa, from the Philippines, Hong Kong, um, hoping Australia very soon, uh, Denmark, um, California, like there's no, it's almost like I'm traveling, I'm keeping on traveling through uh, my customers. And I got to say, there's nothing better. You wake up in the morning, like, oh, a new order from South Africa. Like, that's great. <laughs> that's the dream. Money will you that's sleep. That's the dream. Now I just have to go <laughs> and visit. You just have to go and do it. Yeah. So let, let me just back up a minute. So I want to, because I think it's really, really interesting what you did here with the challenge that you had, because if I understand it correctly, the fact that you were in Mexico made it extra challenging, but actually it was already a challenging situation for you and also the wider wine industry. So you've got a lot of experience of designing for clients in the wine and the drinks industries. And as you pointed out, they need bottle shots, you know, pictures of, of the bottle. So there's, you know, new vintage comes out. They need a photo of that to go on the website, to go in the supermarket marketing materials, to go in sales brochures, whatever. And as your client said, you know, every day that they don't have that and the product is out, they're losing money. Correct. But the challenge they've got is, you know, wine bottles are particularly difficult to shoot. Because, I mean, I remember you saying to me once, well, one of the problems is you point the camera at it and you get a photo and you get a lovely photo with your reflection of you taking, you know, in, in the bottle. Correct. So you've got yeah. to make, you've got to minimize that. You've got to minimize all kinds of issues around light. You've got, there's the issue of posting a wine bottle to the photographer, which could get broken in transit or could get caught up in customs, depending on if it's going across borders. Photographer has to shoot it with all the attendant difficulty of doing it. Then they send it back. And if there's an issue, then you have to go back through the whole process again. Mm -hmm. So what you did, and, and it was partly because, you know, there was no way they could get the bottle to you. You thought, well, okay, I met Fong in Vietnam. He's really good at doing photorealistic digital images. If I can get the specifications of the bottle and the graphics of the label, Fong can recreate that digitally. So it will look as good as or even better as if I were taking a photo of it myself. And we can get that to the client without any postage, any breakages, any issue around reflections whatsoever. <laughs> no, you summarized it really, really well. And, um, and the beauty of it is then you can keep on repeating right. um, because that's also what the industry was facing. Unlike um, a book, for example, uh, where you just 
you know, write a book maybe like once a year, and that's already a prolific author. Uh, once every two years, like the case, in the case of wine bottles or beer bottles, it's just recurring. So like craft breweries right now, you know, they are booming anywhere around the world, and they often have a new beer every month, if not every two weeks almost. I'm right. just barely exaggerating here. And every month it's the same problem. Like how do we how do we get this going? Um, so it was just like this recurring problem, like a, a pain point so that I have experienced firsthand in my 10-year career as a designer for this industry. And and I was fed up by it and my clients were fed up by it. And um, what's really funny, I have a, a customer that I've never met in my life, uh, but that's in Michigan, like that's a, a big fan of our chinery. And once you just wrote, and I'm quoting verbatim, like our only question is, where have you been our, all, our whole life? Like, this is so obvious. And this is really quite funny. Right now, we are in the process of really, like, making yourself known that the service is available um, to the industry. Uh, but as soon as people, like, see it and try it for themselves, like, we offer the free image, the free test shot for, like, for free so people can really see how it works. People then get it, like it totally clicks and they're just like, oh my God, like, yes, please. And we have a lot of people coming back, um, recurring orders and uh, yeah, people asking us, why was it not done before? I don't know the answer why now. What I really love about it is the way you, you took a step back. Instead of looking at it as a design problem, you looked at it as a business problem. Yep. And you thought, well, instead of how can we just pedal faster... In, within the system that we've already got, how can we come up with a new system that works even better, you know? Yeah, because I tried pedaling faster, right, when I bought the camera and everything, and it only it was still problematic. So I thought maybe there's a way just to, you know, hack the whole thing and just bypass how it was always done and just find a new way to do it. Right. And I think when you make that transition, you go from being a, a designer to an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think this is a really critical point for a lot of creatives to understand that, yeah, there's creativity within the discipline that you've learned, that there's always going to be value to that. And if you start applying your, in your case, your design thinking skills, but other people, the creative thinking skills, if you start looking around at the challenges that your clients are facing or that other people in your industry or your field of work are facing, and ask yourself, well, how can this work better? You know, what is it that nobody's seeing here? Where are the points of frustration? And, and how could we come up with something that resolves that? Mm -hmm. And what I've discovered is that it's actually extremely creative in a different way than graphic design. But uh, creating a business from scratch and coming up with a solution on the fly may be a client um, questions or request or customer feedback, like you just have to be creative on how you're going to build and move your business forward and um, creative in the way you communicate to your team. And uh, so I'm pleasantly surprised. Like I kind of, I didn't set up like, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. Like it's just kind of like, I want, there's a problem and I think I have a way to fix it. And as I kept on fixing and developing the idea, I just, uh, it became like a full-on business, uh, you know, we have like, I have now three people in my team like working for me. Uh, and it's um, every day, it's 
actually very creative and I'm very, very surprised by it and in a good way. Like it makes me wake up in the morning. It's like, okay, what kind of problem am I going to fix? Uh, not fix, so like proactively respond uh, today. And it's still a game. Like it's just like, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm making it up a bit as I go and just discovering what works, what stick, what doesn't work and just have uh, real feedback um, from people that use your service from around the world. It is such a, such a high from it, for sure. For me, when I think about a business and a business model, I think of that, it's really, at heart, it's a system for generating value. And a really good business model creates value for the clients, for you, the entrepreneur, and also the people who work with you. So, I mean, what benefits have you seen for your clients from the new way of doing things? Uh, I think there are a couple, like couple of a couple of them. Convenience is a is a big one. Like we just um, we remove quite a bit of the stress or the hassle around this part of their job that needs to get done. Once they know us, they discover us, they use us. Like they just they know that. We can handle it so they have the peace of mind is done and they can focus on doing more of the work that they want to be doing. Um, another benefit, I think, is we don't hide the fact that we are, you know, a small startup uh, with big lofty goals, but that we are like, uh, we have extremely humans in our communication. Like we just, we, we don't hide that we are around the world that um, that you know we are discovering what works, what doesn't, and people root for us. They uh, they do our own marketing. They're like, oh, I went to this trade show and I told everyone about our chinery. Hope that's okay. <laughs> yes, it's more than okay. Please keep going. <laughs> that's not a problem. It's um, not a problem, but just kind of um, other clients that just you know wrote back say, hey. You guys are an inspiration. Like it's just, I can't believe you have only been at the time. Like it was only eight months in business. Like this is this is great. Like anything I can do to support you uh, and your endeavor, um, you know, in, on a business level, I will. And um, so, really, um, not hiding the fact that we are small, that we work with the entire world, and that. Um, it works. Like that's uh, at the end of the day, like that's also like what customers like fully appreciate. That was not always the case with the traditional uh, photography. Is that it? Just like it just works. Like it's uh, like it's obvious and it's easy, and um, and it delivers. And what about your team? How are they finding it working with you? <laughs> Great. With, I hope. Uh, <laughs> without asking them, <laughs> maybe we should ask them. <laughs> Well, like, um, I'm actually, like, um, I'm really proud of a little team. Like, very, very, very proud. Uh, mostly women. So we have Fung in Vietnam uh, that does the 3D. And when we have extra work, it works with a friend of his. Mm -hmm. So he's, like, chief polisher in chief, uh, um, bottle polisher in chief. So he's, like, 3D or 3D guy. Yeah. And then we have Tra in Brooklyn, so for the little story, Tri used to be the project manager at the design studio I worked from when I was living in Vietnam. 
she married an American, and so she went and lived in New York. And she was struggling to find her job. I knew she was really good at what she was doing. I really enjoy her personality. We are friends. And uh, I was like, listen, like I need somebody to help me with customer relationship, to do uh, some of the web development, to do the project management. Uh, I think one of the biggest mistakes that I've read and listened to on podcasts everywhere is that entrepreneurs try to do it all by themselves. And I'm like, let's avoid that right away and hire smart people. <laughs> so she started working for me like a month in after we started our channel because I saw the potential and all the response. And I was like, this is not the best use of my time or resources to be the one doing it. Um, so I'm going to hire Try instead. So she's been with the company for over a year now. And then, uh, and then we have Lucy, that's originally from Sydney, Australia, that's right now in uh, Vancouver. So it's two of us uh, here. And, um, and yeah, we all work together. We use Asana for project management. We don't do email. Like we don't email each other at all. Everything has to be on the project management system so that everybody can keep track of what's going on, have like a clear view of what's happening. And then we use Slack uh, for more um, on-the-go communication or small banter. Um, I'm extremely aware that we are all like um, thousands of kilometers apart, uh, which means different time zones which serve us in the sense like our channel never sleeps. Like when I go to bed, Frank <laughs> is working and vice versa. So that's, that makes us extremely efficient in the eyes of a client. We're a 24-7 shop kind of thing. The sun um, always shines on our shinery. Like, yeah, the sun always. Uh, but we still make time. We have monthly calls. Uh, so that's a bit of a trick to find like a time zone, like a time for everybody to be there. And we share common goals, like uh, together, uh, as I'm the head of the company, like we work on uh, what are the goals that we want to achieve, like next month, next quarter, how are we going to do that? And um, communicating, um, again, key is communication. Like really, I'm not here to micromanage. I hire smart, talented people so they can do what they, what they have to do. Um, and um, just giving them the tools and the power to make the right decisions. So, for example, I took the call that, hey, if for any reason uh, a customer wants a refund or is not happy with the service um, and it's all under, like, let's say $100, like, don't even go through me. Like, it makes sense. Of course, reimburse, figure out why why it's wrong and we need to fix that. But, like, I don't want to be the bottleneck in any way. We have a little... Um, manifesto, an internal manifesto um, that we, uh, that every day when we start a Slack kind of like pops up, uh, how we love like delighting people. And so that means um, just like goes extra miles, however you can uh, see fit. And, uh, and we are like yeah, really funny. And even though we are super far apart, I would say I know a ton about my coworkers and probably more than if they would just happen to be sitting next to me just because we share an office. Like I can tell you, for example, like we have Bake Off when it's Game of Thrones season. 
Because it doesn't matter where you're in the world. Everybody watches Game of Thrones. It doesn't matter if you're in Vietnam <laughs> or <laughs> in New York or in Vancouver. And we have, it's just started organically, but we bake. Like each of us in our own part of the world, like do something special to eat while watching Game of Thrones. And we all share pictures. And, and yes, <laughs> Sunday night. But like, you know, like there's a boundary between work and um, lifestyle is very blurry. Like I think we are yeah. all hard workers. But uh, you just tell me in advance when you need to take time off or anything, but I would never, ever say no. So Tra went to visit her family for two weeks in Vietnam. She started, like, can I do this? I'm like, yes, of course. And just, we're going to reduce your hours and, yeah, work from Vietnam. Like, who am I to say that you can't work from anywhere? I'm doing it myself. So, Laurie, this is really interesting, the way you're, describe you've obviously put a lot of thought into the way you set up the business because i speak to quite a few creatives who the idea of starting a business and hiring a team fills them with horror you know they say well i don't want to end up just running a business i want time for my own creative work what would you say to them uh you have to reframe your mindset it's not it's not horror at all it's um it's just an enabler it's super empowering it's super rewarding I think the key is to find, yes, the right people, I think is obviously crucial, to not go crazy huge, like, right away. Like, I wouldn't say, like, you know, go from one to ten people. Like, that seems crazy. And um, I think just, like, each time I talk to my team or, like, I request something from them, just understanding, like, what would I, how would it feel if I were in their shoes? So each time I, I strive to give them the info, the data, the reasoning behind the decisions I'm making so that they understand where I'm coming from. They can also tell me why they think it's wrong and I will hear it and possibly correct it because I can see that they are right. And also just like empower them so that when the next time the situation shows up, they can they can do it on their own. And so what this means is like for you as a main creative as a starting point, it's just like frees you up space and creativity. Then you by empowering other people to think creatively and to help you solve your problems, then you can solve more problem, bigger problem, be more creative, and that's what a team enables you. I think the if you keep yourself just as a solo solopreneur, like all alone, I think you are shortchanging yourself. I think it's not serving you. And uh, I think almost you fall in, even though you're working for yourself, you kind of, you're in a job. Like, you know, like you almost like you are too, too tie up. And it's just, um, like to me, it's like also like uh, scary. If you really don't work, like for a reason X, Y, Z, can it be like, um, holidays or sickness or anything then you are screwed <laughs> unless you have a team and it's just like um i'm not saying it's easy but you know things keep going so i highly recommend it to be nimble, like nimble and humble and just really treat your teammate as you would like to be treated like i think that's uh, the biggest advice and you'd be surprised by how much um how much more you can accomplish. And for me as well, how much um, more grit and perseverance. Like, it's just like you have 
a different kind of accountability. Um, I can't stick on Netflix, you know, whole day. Like, it's just can't. Like, it's just like I have, like, some requests to answer, some people on my team. And we're not, you know, some days are better than others, like, for all of us. And we just mention it. Like, it can be, like, a small note on Slack. It's like, oh, today I'm not feeling it. I'm just... I'm just not going to be around. Can somebody take my task? It's like, I get it. Like, just, just, just do something else. And, but you know, next thing I know, like maybe like I will see trust spending a couple of hours on a Sunday, just because she's like, hey, it works for me. In her case, for example, her husband is a chef, so he has really strange weird hours, and he doesn't work. Like he works during weekends. Like you know, his week is like, so she kind of follows his schedule, so they can have actually spend time together. Uh, and that makes total sense to me, and that makes Tra a much better uh, worker person, and um, and it serves me in return and the company. And do you get as much time as you would like to spend on designing and problem solving? It's uh, as if, like it's I need to make the time. Uh, what I've discovered is I just block, I just put it in my schedule. So this afternoon I'm going to be all out shinery uh, and in the morning I will be all like creative work uh, like design work um, I would say so and like I said like I don't get too bogged down when I work on out shinery because I think of it still as a creative problem to solve right and and I try things like oh let's try this newsletter with this like funny little gif so you know I'm still on Adobe Photoshop and Illustrator like if I wear for um, client work, design work, but just like I'm more like my own client. So like the, the challenge I would say is more to um, manage uh, like priorities um, and um, respect that our channery is a, is a full-fledged business and not a hobby. And that's also honestly what having a team brings you, and at least for me. It's just like, no, like that's, I have, you know, people to pay at the end of the month. So yes, it's a responsibility, but it's also um, a driver. Like it's just like, you know, it has to be done. And let's find the most creative, most hassle-free, effective way to do this. Like I'm a big, um, I read this article on Medium, like all about like lazy management. Like I'm, I'm all about like the simplest way to do it. Or if it's like, an app, an application that helps me connect or I'll use it. Like whatever uh, is repetitive, I'm going to find a system that just allows me to do it automatically. And again, not just because I'm lazy, but just because I'm like this, it frees me more time for creativity and, you know, more fun. Okay, Laurie, this has been super interesting. It's always inspiring to talk to you and, and see and hear the, the amazing things that you're doing kind of creatively, business-wise, travel-wise. And this point of the interview is where I invite you to give our audience a little taste of the magic and by setting them a challenge. And I know you've got something that's really quite exciting to, <laughs> to invite them to do. So maybe you could tell them about that. Absolutely. Um so as you have learned by now, like I traveled around the world and I've heard of this special plane ticket that were called around the world plane ticket. And I kind of always thought they were a bit like urban legend. Uh, did those really exist? Is it like really a good deal? Like it's just Expedia in disguise. 
uh, turned out they really exist. So what I would like to encourage you is to design your own around the world creative adventure. Uh, you don't have to click purchase and pay, pay the plane ticket, but it is to explore what is possible out there. And you would be surprised how cheaper it is and more readily available it is than you may think. And this is a perfect opportunity to explore new places and culture and truly to inspire your creativity and meet some really uh, life-changing people, really. So the challenge I would like to propose is for you, listener, to leave a comment that describes the places you'd like to visit and go big. Like, I want at least six, seven places. And tell me why you have chosen each of those places, like what the kind of inspiration you're looking for. Uh, a couple of suggestions could be the people, the landscape, the culture, something else. Um, Mark will put in the comments the two different uh, URLs you can go and explore to see uh, what is possible. And tell me what you would like to create as a result of your trip. So a couple of ideas here. Maybe you want to run your own business from the road and explore like, what really is uh, being a digital nomad. Or maybe you want to use the trip as an inspiration for a personal project. Um, yeah, what is, what is your goal? And tell me, tell me all about it in the comment. And um, it's super fun to do. And it may spark some really interesting internal conversation um, about like maybe what's next for the upcoming months for you. Great. Thank you, Laurie. So in just a moment after the interview, I'll, I'll keep listening. If you want to take part in the challenge, I'll just explain exactly how that works. But I think it's a great opportunity for us all to dream big and, and think about where we would like to go physically and, and creatively next. Okay. Thank you, Laurie. That's been really inspiring. So finally, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, they can find me at uh, outshinery.com. They'll find my email address here. And I'm also, I'm not super active on social media, but I use LinkedIn extensively. So please don't hesitate to connect uh, with me here. Uh, it's Laurie, L-A-U-R-I-E, and Miot, M-I-L-L-O-T-T-E. So send me a message here. I would love to hear from you. And uh, if you have any other questions, don't hesitate to reach out. That's great. Thank you so much, Laurie. You're very welcome. Thanks, Mark. In just one moment, I'll tell you how you can take part in this week's creative challenge. But before that, I'd like to ask you to do one small thing that will make a really big difference to the show. And that's to pop along to iTunes and press the little purple subscribe button. And if you're really feeling full of enthusiasm for the 21st century creative, maybe you could leave a brief review explaining why you like the show. The reason for this is that it wakes up the little gremlins inside the iTunes store. Because there's so many shows, the gremlins can't be expected to figure out which ones are good and which ones will appeal to this person or that person. Plus, they're gremlins. They don't have your good taste and discernment. So they're relying on you to press the subscribe button, to leave a review or a rating, because that lets them know that this kind of show is the kind of show that appeals to this kind of person. 
In other words, other people of creativity, good taste, and discernment. And the Gremlins will put the show in front of them, and more people will discover it, they will benefit, and critically, the Gremlins can knock off work early. So please, consider the Gremlins. Press the magic subscribe button. Leave them a review. So for this week's creative challenge, Laurie has invited you to dream big and create the round-the-world trip of your dreams. If you want to take part, here's how the challenge works. The challenge is to design your ideal round-the-world creative adventure and leave a comment describing all the places you'd like to visit. Laurie's asking you to be bold, so she wants at least six places. And tell us why you want to visit each of these places for inspiration, whether it's the people, the landscape, the culture, or something else about that country. Finally, tell us what you want to create as a result of your trip. Maybe a new business, an artwork, a book, or another kind of creative project. To make it more fun and to show you how easily it can be done, we're adding two links in the show notes to round-the-world trip planners on skyteam.com and staralliance.com. You can play with these to build round-the-world tickets without actually making a purchase. Unless, of course, you're feeling really adventurous. No, we're not sponsored by these sites and they are not affiliate links. We're not affiliated with them in any way. Laurie just wanted to share them as fun tools to help you daydream. You have until midnight United States Pacific time this Friday, 23rd of June, 2017, to complete the challenge by leaving your comment at 21stCenturyCreative.fm/4. Obviously, if you're listening after that, the challenge has now closed, but you can still take part in the creative challenges for future episodes of the show. Once the challenge is finished, I will pick three winners at random from the comments who will receive an exclusive desktop background with a world map design by Laurie to inspire your travel daydreaming as you work. You can also add your choice of one of my books for creatives, Resilience, Productivity for Creatives, or Motivation for Creatives. I want to stress I'll pick the winners at random. I won't be judging the comments because the challenge is not a competition. Over the weekend, I will send a bonus recording with my feedback on your comments and what we can all learn from the challenge. Now, this next part is important. The feedback recording will not be released on iTunes or anywhere else the show is syndicated. It will only be available via the 21st Century Creative email list. So to join the list, go to 21stCenturyCreative.fm bonus and enter your email address in the box. Not only will you get the feedback recordings for every creative challenge, you'll also get the 21st Century Creative Foundation course, a free in-depth course to help you succeed as a creative professional. Okay, that's it for this week's challenge. You'll also find these instructions in the show notes at 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash four. Have a great time daydreaming about your trip. I'm really looking forward to seeing where you're going on your adventures. 
and stay tuned for another episode of the 21st Century Creative next week. 